After an accident, minutes matter. Your words and actions matter even more. You need help, and you need it now. This is David vs. Goliath, brought to you by Dolman Law Group Accident Injury Lawyers, a boutique firm with a reputation for going head-to-head -head with the insurance company giants and putting people over profits. Welcome to another episode of the David and Goliath podcast. I'm Matt Dolman. I'm here with my partner in crime, or, well, we try to avoid committing crime. It's Stan Geip. Stan? Hey, today we're kind of lucky because we got a third guest with us today to bat, bat some stuff around with, and that's Bob Simon. So Bob Simon comes from the Simon Law Group in Los Angeles, and I'm not here to, uh, he can give himself a better introduction than I can, but I'm not even sure about that. I've done quite a bit of studying on Bob, and I've been following him on his podcast, Bourbon Approved. I've seen him and followed him probably loosely for about two years now on Instagram. He's got a hell of a personality. He's different than pretty much any other lawyer I've ever dealt with before. Um, he's a, a normal human being. Most lawyers, and I hate to say this, they kind of have like a D-bag element to them. And they're a little full of themselves. I don't think this guy is full of himself in the slightest. He's got a very intriguing personality, and he's probably one of the two or three most successful trial lawyers of his generation. There's Nick, there's Nick Rowley, there's Bob Simon. I don't even know who would fit into number three. Bob's had a number of verdicts over $10 million in settlements as well. He's known throughout the country. His name comes up regularly in conversations with some of the best trial lawyers. They already know who he is, and I don't even know how much he knows about that. So I'll let Bob introduce himself, and then um, we're going to take it away. We have some interesting topics to cover today. Sir, sir, am I allowed to cuss on this podcast? What's the deal? Oh, yeah, dude. Like a, I curse like a sailor. Of course. Okay, so then we will. Uh, I won't dial it down. So, yeah, that's right, dude. I, I just try to keep it real with everything that I do, and that's been, I think, the success in the courtroom kind of generated from that because I would just talk like a normal fucking person. So yeah, man, I started my firm with my twin brother back in 2009. It's just the two of us and our little brother. And now we have 70 plus employees. I got multiple offices in California, Texas, and we started a company called Justice HQ, which kind of does a, a mentorship on scale and a lot of exciting things happening. So I'm here to, I'm here to help answer questions and make this hopefully uh, fun. Yeah, take us through. So you have like a collaborative effort with a number of younger lawyers yeah. or lawyers who are solo practitioners. Or those who may not have the financial resources that Simon Law Group has, how do you set it up? What are you looking for in terms of partnerships with other attorneys in the area and in terms of your colleagues? And what really is what's what is Justice HQ? Is it just office sharing or now? So everybody assumed that Justice HQ is just a uh, like we work for lawyers, but it's like the office based solution is probably the last part of the benefit of the membership people take advantage of. I mean, I predicted long before the pandemic that lawyers should have a higher quality of life. They should work virtually. They should just have a flex office space and share resources across the board, but be completely independent. So we started Just HQ, and it's a um, membership base. And in exchange for their monthly membership fees, they get access to collaboration. We have virtual and in-person mentorship. We have a lot of big dogs like myself, Gary Dordick, people from Trial by Human, like you mentioned, that are members there. They do it virtually and in-person. We do their media for them. We have a case exchange where people can send cases back and forth. We have their office space. So they can have 24-7 access to any of the spaces, use the conference rooms. We have a podcast room. We have a mock courtroom. It just gives the competitive edge to folks to, um, you know, for one, like our membership started 700 bucks a month. When I started my firm, I paid 1750 just for office space and none of all this other stuff. So we're just trying to have everybody be on the same platform, use the same tech, be consistent. Because you know, man, like whenever I get shopped a ton of cases, 50 a week from other lawyers, and it's like looking through all this different shit in the file, right? Figure out, do I want to pick this case? 
and then figure out, is it right for me? If it's not right for me, where does it go? So if everybody can be on the same platform, everybody consistent, that makes it a seamless process. So like at Justice HQ, I see cases where like they're bringing in a motion writing department for 5%. They're bringing somebody to actually litigate and they take the depositions for a third. Then somebody's financing a case for 50% and being like the trial house, right? So you have like five or six firms on the same pleading working together. And I think that's the only way that we're going to really defeat this, uh, which is coming, man, the Amazon law of the world. Uh, which we're seeing in Texas right now. So long since I predicted it, it's coming to fruition and uh, we're ready for it, bro. We're jumping all over the place here, but real quick. So what is going to happen now in California with, uh, is it the baby bar? What's what's the whole story with Kim Kardashian? And I'm realizing, you know, mm. now Arizona and Utah are allowing non-lawyers to be partners of lawyers. And what's next in California? I can tell you what's going to go on here in Florida, but what does the future of law look like in the next five years through the lens of Bob Simon? Yeah, dude. So- I've long said that big tech will come in in some form or fashion and they'll do it under the guile of this is an efficiency win for consumers. We saw what Netflix has done. It's a Netflix model. Now they're going to come in, they're going to drop contingency fees to like 10, 15%, bleed out the market, trying to bring everybody in house and then raise the rates, right? They're going to gobble up all the market share and be in the red for years because they know how big the, you know, it's a multi-billion dollar industry doing the single event consumer stuff and the mass tours. So Arizona, they have you can have a whole law firm owned by non-lawyers. Pay referral fees to non-lawyers. I mean, it's the wild, wild west. California right now, they're in the sandbox, the state bar, which I think I keep telling people to defund the state bar in California. It's fucking dumb. But they're allowing paraprofessionals, they call it. You get a certificate, you can practice essentially law, which is crazy to me. But look, it's going to come in some form or fashion. I predict in California, five years from now, they're going to have billboards for Amazon law. They're going to try to take a percentage of each case that comes to the door. Heck, it might be more efficient. It might be better for the consumer to see it, get access to it, and they can pair it right with a really good lawyer right away. Again. But, but won't that work for estate planning, transactional law, um, corporate, but not so much for a single event? Well, that's the thing. Where it involves heavy litigation. How are you going to, how do you replicate that in a mass model? And that's the thing with the, the thing you need a license for as a lawyer, right? What do you need a license for? Take depositions, you know, be in trial, like the, the FaceTime stuff, right? So I've always said that's insulator cells, the thing you need a license for. Can they automate contract writing? I mean, they probably can, right? There's AI out there that I've seen that can do it. Mm -hmm. What about automating estate planning? Yeah, I've seen AI that can yeah. do it, right? Then you've seen a lawyer to review it at the end of rubber stand. Like I've seen AI that like case text use. I know the CEO of case text and like they're using that to predict what motions you need with what case law and just dropping it in. Like this shit is coming, man. It's real. Uh, but I think as lawyers, we got to be ahead of the technology. We got to be ahead of where this is going to go and insulate ourselves at the same time. So with Just HQ, it's like we have a case exchange where you can plug the cases into the experts one way portal in. So, hey, Amazon Law, you want to plug in these cases an infinite scale with lawyers that know what they're doing because every member has to be approved to come in or else they get fucking plugged They're all great lawyers. Plug it in, look to see who you like, negotiate your fee, sign your fee share agreement, have the client sign off, off you go. Right. So that's where I think it's going to be in five years. Well, we already have some AI lawyers out there practicing law, essentially. And I want to say their win rates are over 50 percent, even from an artificial intelligence standpoint, without having real people involved. It's simple warranty and breach of contract type of claims on small stuff. But, you know, it's already starting to kind of blur the lines of what is the practice of law. You know, how much mm -hmm. assistance can a computer or AI give a consumer without actually crossing that line? Yeah, look, I mean, at the, at the 
bare essence of what lawyers are is we resolve disputes. We get things handled, whether it's your personal injury, contracts, or real estate, whatever the fuck you're doing, right? Law right now, people are intimidated by the court system, filing fees, having access to the courts, and then getting drowned down by big law. I mean, they have infinite amounts of money to drown you out, expert costs and all this. You know, we've seen the decentralization of of money, right? We've seen Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, and I think that it's going to come. People think it's scary, but the metaverse is going to decentralize the legal system as well. I said that people should be doing what I but I'd like to do something called the meta court. People come and resolve their disputes for free. You just have one rule of law and that's rule of equity. You do what's fair. That's it. America can vote. You can live stream. It can be entertaining at the same time. But I think the law is going to be the ADR, the alternative dispute resolution things. I think a lot of people are going to be doing that for close to free and getting out of the court system to do it. It's going to be an opt-in. But I think that's what we're going to start seeing. And I, I've actually seen um, with IP or with I think it's with websites, domain names and stuff. They actually have an opt-in kind of tribunal that decides for them now. But again, we're talking about some wild shit. This is, we have a meta bus for the bourbon approval for this week, and this is the shit they're going to be talking about. I mean, you're somewhat insulated, not to say you're completely insulated, but yeah. you're reliant on the lawyers to bring you cases, but you're dealing with the biggest cases with the biggest amount of damages available, where the insurance company really, their only job in those type of cases is just to mitigate damages. I can't imagine those will ever go the form of alternative dispute resolution. I don't think you'll ever see where a, a good portion of your practice goes that route. I think you're okay. But your normal attorney who uh, markets through digital, through, uh, and I, we talked about this last night, how you're not reliant on, on Google. And I, you know, I work with Tennessee Digital, we were, and that was our discussion last night. How is this going to affect your normal lawyer who uh, is at J Justice HQ? The guy who gets cases off of either TV, radio, billboards, or uh, another medium like digital? I think that's the market that'll get hurt the most if you have the non-lawyers coming in because they're going to have, I mean, I see in every industry, my wife has a whole e-commerce business at, you know, skincare and um, supplements. And whenever you have companies like one of our competitors, AG Greens, and they had $150 million raise, how the fuck are you going to compete with somebody that's spending $10 million a month simply marketing, right? You can't unless you have the, the money to do it. So when they come in, that's going to, those are the people that are going to get hurt the most. That's why I created this whole Just HQ as an insulation for those folks. Because if they are specialists in the litigation or state planning or in trials, whatever specific vehicle they are, those are things you need a license for. Those are the people that these big marketers are going to look for to outsource and get a percentage of the, of the fee from. Understood. So a lot of members of Justice HQ, maybe about 10% of the members, the ones that do a lot of digital marketing, advertising, and then they kick the overflow to the other members. But most of the members pride themselves on being very good lawyers in their space. Sometimes it's pre-lit, sometimes it's litigation, sometimes it's trial, sometimes it's motion writing. But if you have specialists, if you specialize in something, I think it's gonna, that's where you're going to win. Won't pre-lit get kicked to the wayside, though? I think it may, but I still think that smartly, if you have Amazon Law, for instance, come in, wouldn't it make more sense for them to kick their cases to a bunch of pre-lit firms and take 10% and do it on mass volume? Yes. I mean, that would make sense to me. Yeah, especially those firms are going to add a lot of value to the cases, 100%. Correct. And it cuts their overhead too, man. I think law firms are have a lot of fucking bloat on overhead. Like, are we have 70-some employees and everybody's virtual. We come into the office space when we want to. We give every, we give everybody, the staff has every other Friday off completely. Whatever we save them, home, home workstations. Lawyers got to learn to be, not have that trophy office space so much and and just get ready for it. Plus, dude, like I'm going to Europe for like two months this summer with my wife and two kids. We have another kid on the way. You can fucking practice law. I anywhere. saw that, by the way. Congratulations. Thanks, man. 
we have a crazy story, which we you know don't need to share here. But anyway, you can practice law everywhere. Like, what else do we need to be in person for trying cases for me? I can take depositions virtually. So whatever, plan around it. You have trials and mediations. Yeah, you can be virtual for pretty much everything else. I do all my mediations. I have one this afternoon, virtual. COVID has changed the entire universe anyway. Very few people will go come to the office. No, you get very little stuff in the office these days. There's very little face-to-face. And for 90% of what we do, I feel like it's effective in, in the virtual world. When I only come to the office to escape home. I love, I love my wife, but I don't want to be around her 24-7. And she works for the firm. She's a trial lawyer. So the last thing I want to do is be around her all day at the house as well. And we have nothing to talk about. I can't even make up stuff that we, I did that day just to entertain her because she saw it. I sat there and did nothing. It was just my so office. I'm gonna give you, Matt, I'll give you advice my dad gave me. Would you rather be happy or right? Happy. Hmm. With your wife, would you rather be happy or right? Happy. That's why I give in on every argument. Yep, that's yeah, it. Unless that's it. it really matters to me, I'm giving in every single time. And that's what we noticed since we started, you know, March of 2020 with the with Just HQ having a few spaces open. Lawyers tend to come in just to have that social escape, that in-person collaboration. Yeah. Sometimes in-person meetings. And they've learned and just, they, you know, they work from home or float and go to other people's offices or do whatever. But that's what it is. Like I go in the offices once a week, maybe two times max, but it's like to be in the mix, be social, Ooh. stuff like that, and get out of the fucking house. Right? Well, Bob, I can tell you, you know, I didn't ever do any work on the defense side, okay? And I have muscled my way up the learning curve, like through brute force. There wasn't mm-hmm. assistance. There wasn't like this older partner that had a bunch of trials or anything like that. The very first trial I ever saw was one where I was lead counsel. Yep, same. And that's a tough way to move up the learning curve. It's slow. You learn from your mistakes. And you really, you don't have anyone you can talk to that you truly trust and rely on and don't know, hey, are they just telling me two-thirds of the story so I will refer it over to them? Are they trying to Mm -hmm. make it seem too difficult so they can milk it? And it's tough to get a feel for that system if you don't have people around you. So. I see what you're doing being, I mean, invaluable to people oh, yeah. who've got the skill set without the experience. My entire background is baptism by fire. I mean, and to learn from someone else. It is, and that's, and I had the same, I mean, I, I would like to tell you, it took me a few years to get where I was comfortably. This would accelerate anybody's career path. So perfect example. So Archimon Poor, who's one of the gifted, most gifted trial lawyers ever, he had a $60 million verdict last week, 60. And this is like his 10th eight-figure verdict in the past five years, all single event stuff. So. Right away, he's a member of Just HQ. He sets up like how I did this, members only, to show them how he did everything. And that, like he shares his secrets as he goes. But that's the whole the whole purpose of this community, Just HQ, is everybody's giving to a fault. And everybody rises together, right? So if we teach that new lawyer, which I didn't have that mentorship for a few years, I had to force myself in, just asking questions, trying a case to a listserv, right? That's fucking terrible. Well, you have to find that mentor to help guide your career. And if you could do mentorship on scale, which we're trying to do to help people, I mean, I probably do five or six Zoom calls a week with strangers about how I want to start my firm, what's the best path for, for you. But I, I truly believe that, like, dude, if I had that kind of help from Jump Street, I mean, I know what the fuck I was doing, trying to run a business, trying to try cases, trying to litigate cases and get cases. I mean, it was madness. And none of this they teach you in law school. No. And dude, I just spoke at Pepperdine, my law school, I went to, um, last week and had this, I was like, you guys need to teach this course. They have me come back like once a year to talk about how to actually start your firm and make money. And I was like, this shouldn't be a one and a half hour event for your three L's. This should be a class. 100%. 
There should be a lot more practical skills. Dude, law school's just fucked up in general, dude. Why, why is it not? One year of learning and then two years of an apprenticeship so you actually know what the fuck you're doing. Yeah, you it should be a lot more practical skills, a lot less academic theory. It wouldn't be as profitable for them, Matt. It yeah, yeah, of course. No, I remember when I got my bar license, I was finally an attorney, and I sat there and I was like, oh, this is scary. I don't know shit, you know, <laughs> but I now have all this authority and everyone around me thinks I know it. So if I say it, it's the gospel, unless someone else knows more. Yes. Well, that's the whole thing is everybody... You don't know what you don't know. Most people, if you know a lawyer, they'll ask you a question. If you answer it, they're like, that's the fucking answer. I mean, he's a lawyer, right? They don't know if you're, if that's your space, if you're a bankruptcy lawyer, they don't know how many years you've been practicing. And I told all these lawyers the same thing. Like, what if I don't know the answer to this person that wants to hire me? I was like, who the fuck cares? Go ask somebody else, get the answer and tell them. Be their general counsel, whatever. Yeah, his perception is reality. Act as if. That's right. Yeah. You should put that on a t-shirt, dude. I like that. Act as if. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how big is Just HQ now? How many members? We have about 200 paying firms. Wow. Is that where most of the trial work comes from is through uh, members of Just HQ? No. I mean, I do get a lot of trial work for my firm through Just HQ. I'm known to, because I try a ton of spine cases. So people know anytime there's fusion up, they consult me. And if I like it, we, we run it together. I get a lot of business as the we only let so many of the, you know, premier member mentors into the, like my firm pays 20000 a month, Dev Access. The big dogs pay 20000 a month because one, it's solving our office-based solutions like me, Gary Dordick, Brett Sachs, uh, Singleton and Schreiber, and Chris Dolan, right? Because, know all those names. you know, we have access to this membership. These are all big trial lawyers, but they're there to help people, to mentor. They need help funding cases. We're here for that as well. But the goal is, is to have I have a target on my back because a lot of these big firms are pissed that their associates are leaving to start their own firm. And then all these other people that were getting referred, all these cases referring into members of Justice HQ because they see the collaborative event. It's like, well, I, they can give it to Joe Solo, give him a third. And they know that it was mentoring like on steroids. Like the people have set up a case like collaboration every week where they come in and talk about their cases and people just round table for free. Like where else are you going to get that? Nowhere. You know? Nowhere. But, are you looking to do this in other states or just you're sticking with California? So I know you're starting to make it, you have a presence now in Texas. I mean, here's the struggle, man. It's like quality is the A1 and we're about to open up like our fourth space in San Diego and probably May or June. We can't get the spaces up fast enough, but at the same time, we have to have quality control in the community because the credibility is aligned, right? You have to have the right people mentoring and you have to have the right lawyers that are good at what they do in order for it to succeed. So the short answer is yes. I'd love to scale this across the country, but hey, man, I got other jobs too. Right. I got the directing board. My sister's actually, she's the CEO now. So she's running the show. At Simon Law Group? Yeah, at Justice HQ. At Justice HQ, okay. Yeah. At Simon Law Group. So you're the, you run the trials. I know there's a few guys, Grace and Goody, there's Sebby Fisher. I've looked at your roster and you got some real trial lawyers there. And I was looking them up all on verdict search last night. They got a lot of nice verdicts. And we haven't even reported the last few. Like we've had, I think, eight verdicts since the pen, like beginning of last year, at least. Uh, seven and eight figure verdicts. But yeah, like I've made a very big point of when I started my firm to not be the end all be all. So I've trained all the other lawyers to do exactly what I've done. So we have, I'd say, eight trial lawyers at our firm that can replicate the same result. Who runs the business on a day-to-day -day basis? My twin brother, Brad, runs the business day-to-day. -day. Okay. Yep. Got you. That's cool. And you can trust him. That's awesome. And he works from his underwear in his closet in his house. He <laughs> never really leaves. Plays Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> at night and does that. <laughs> Is he like you? He's not a brat when we were identical twins. We were very alike, but he's at the same time much more private, likes to be behind the curtain. 
if people see Brad, it's like a fucking, it's like seeing a unicorn, right? I mean, rarely see it, but. Okay, he's the puppet master. He's the puppet master, yeah. He's the type of guy that's like, hey, you know, take X amount out of the general account. I mean, he I don't even know how much money's in there at all times. So just like run all that stuff and just like, here you go. Thanks. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> so let's transition a bit now. You mm-hmm. have uh it's a tour, it starts tomorrow. You have a number of big trial lawyers associated with this in Kentucky. And it's the Bourbon of Proof Tour, which is the same name of your podcast, which brings up the fascination that we're looking at your bottles behind you. You love whiskey. Always have, man. Always have. What's your choice, whiskey? kind of got a top five my go-to like i'll drink a, a weller full proof for 1907 i like the whistle pig tannins and every day even a high west which is like you get under 50 bucks a bottle stuff like boss hogs probably one of my favorite ones victor's toasted rye i like angels envy rye a lot i like the higher proof bourbons but i mean the re- <laughs> we've been drinking whiskey since we were kids and i'm by irish side of my family's very big like my grandmother's one of 12 and every christmas we'd go over there in the morning and We'd have Jack Daniels, and we would do a shot for every dead relative and celebrate. <laughs> you got 12 siblings, and you come from a big Irish family. That's a lot of fucking people. And I remember, like, we would play the game as who's the least drunk to drive to my other grandparents' house. And this is when we were, like, 14, <laughs> 15. So it was me, my brothers, and my dad. And we all work at the firm now, by the way. My dad's going to Kentucky with us. He's hilarious, but... Yeah, I saw. Is he out in California now from Pittsburgh, or...? My dad retired, retired from UPS as a truck driver for 35 years. That day, he and I, I, I flew to, from L.A. to Pittsburgh, picked him up. We drove a U-Haul and didn't stop. And he lived with me for six months, and then he, he's off on his own. But he's like, fuck this, I'm out of here. Pretty cool. Yeah, I saw him on uh, your social media profile, a couple of videos. He's hilarious. He seems dude. like a funny guy. I spend almost every day with my dad. Yeah, I see where that comes from. That's cool. Yeah. I'm best friends with my father. What's the next step with Justice HQ? What's the next step of your career? The next step is, for the first time, we're going to start allowing non-members to send cases into the case exchange or the marketplace. I'd like to be able to put up other locations, not only within California, but outwards as well. And it's funny, I mean, Matt, with your t- like other people reaching out to me nationally that just have a huge interest. And one of the biggest things is these, you know, outside money, I have a very big philosophy in life, never to take outside money or control. I mean, it's just always how I've operated. I came from nothing and I'll leave with nothing if I have to, but I don't want to be beholden to somebody else. So I'd like to scale Just HQ strategically, smartly, work with our board and my my sisters who run the company and have the biggest, like, it's membership-based, it's not a law firm, but it'd be like the biggest a la carte collective alliance of lawyers that the world has ever seen. That's my goal. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I dig this. This is completely different than anything else I've ever seen. No, it's interesting. When I started looking into it, Matt said, hey, look at what this guy's doing. I started going a little deeper and you know, it's a completely different take on the practice. And when you're looking from the inside out, I'm sitting here going, my God, look at all the advantages you have as a practitioner being involved with something like this, especially on the lower end practitioners where you haven't been through it, you haven't seen it, you haven't really been punched in the face and had to respond yet to stuff. You know, you haven't had something explode on you in trial and go the other (laughs) way than you thought it was. You know, the test, what do you do? How do you handle it when that happens? And, you know, to have that resource there as a young attorney, you don't get it without either giving up basically all your cases Correct. or all your money. When you find, like, I found some amazing trial lawyers because I see it. They're willing to take 10, 20% to try a case because, like, their overhead's so low. Like, okay, I'll come in and do this with you. You just have to pay 50, 60% for that. 
But you don't. And why should you, right? If this is all the piece that you need, sometimes you need just to win an MSJ to carry. So why do you need XYZ to have that happen? But what's interesting we've seen is like people are so excited to help each other and help people be successful is I see people trying cases with other folks for free. I'll be your, you know, I'll be your co-counsel, your crutch that you need. I've tried a bunch of cases. It's going for a week and we'll do this together for free, just for fun. Like this is the type of atmosphere that does exist out there. If you tune into the right people, the unselfish bucks, we have a big no crooks, no creeps mentality at Justice HQ. But if you have the right people, it works, man. Like, and why should it be that way? Like all of us, all of us here, we do work for free all the time. All of us. Because we love it. We love helping people. Um, it'd be a profitable avenues other way. And, you know, I just see it's very exciting to see people that are very experienced trial lawyers that are very successful just helping people for free every day. That's really Because cool. I can see the virtual platform light up with questions for an, you know, answers, that kind of shit. So. How big, you know, I know you're involved with Trial Lawyers University. I saw mm -hmm. you on there as well. How important is it to have that mentor? What stock do you put into like Trial Lawyers College, the Jerry Spence School? Trial Lawyers University, is it necessary and vital if as to be a, to take the next step as a trial lawyer? I mean, yeah. you tell me, is it a cult? Half of these seem like a cult. Yeah, I mean, some of that. So I've never done, I'm not part of the Jerry Spence stuff. Um, I know a lot of people that have gone through it. Nick Rowley's one of my very good friends. He's one of the leaders in, um, in all that stuff. So I, I think if you want to be a very successful trial lawyer, you have to have mentors when i started doing it my first try i tried a freaking dog bite case in compton and by the way i'm a purebred <laughs> too never did defense work so there you go i got 250k when my firm thought i'd get zero and just went to compton try to figure it out and after that i was like this shit's really hard so i started my own firm well of course i did because i thought this was really hard so why not make it even more difficult um and then the first year out i tried three cases did pretty well but again no mentorship so i was like fuck this is like gonna put an ulcer in my stomach in fact i think it probably did so I stalked Gary Dordick, who's now one of my best friends, but he ended up being my mentor. And I would just like find him at events and like fucking pull on him and then take him out to lunch. And then I would give him 50% of my fee to work on cases. He'd front the cost. And I did the same thing with Brian Panish. We tried some cases together where they would take 50% front the cost, but I would get the most valuable experience in the world, which is trying a case with these rock stars and seeing how they do it on the back end, most importantly, right? And to see the team atmosphere that you need to do to succeed. And then learn from it and replicate. So it started you know, 95% of my business is referrals from other lawyers. And I took on the same role that, that they did. Now I try to do it on scale, but you have to find a mentor. So now it's really fucking easy. Like you can go to conferences, you can see it on social media, you can slide into their DMs before you had to fucking stop people, right? Now everybody's yeah, it's it's accessible. It's, it's, yep. it's, yeah. it's one of the benefits of social media. One of the few. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, it's way easier than people think it is. And people are way willing to help than, than people realize. And, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? They tell you fuck off or they don't respond. Who gives a shit? That's always been my theory about rejection. So uh, I was born with this ugly face. My father told me, you know, if you ask out enough women, somebody's going to say yes. So it's just not having the fear of the rejection itself. And that's what fuels my, me. And that's people ask me, like, how did you marry Christine Bullock? If everybody knows my wife. And I was like, why? Because I. By the way, yes, she is. Stan, she have, maybe if you haven't looked, she's a good yeah, looking lady. And she no, has, I hadn't this, seen this, this guy is dating way above the rim, above, way above. Yeah. And then I marry up, dude. And people are like, how did you do this? Because fucking talk to her. Like I wasn't afraid to get rejected. And then we found out we were both from Pittsburgh and off you go. We've been together ever since. Yeah. What's that quote from Wayne Gretzky? You miss all the shots you don't take. That's, I yep. love that phrase. Do we actually, yeah. yeah. I randomly golfed with Wayne Gretzky, and it was one of the funniest experiences of my life. It was him, John McEnroe, and then two other random people, which is random. And I'm not a golfer, 
Like I was just playing with people because I had to like do business with them. Yeah, Wayne was pretty hammered and fucking put it within three feet of the pin on a, on a par three and just laughed his ass off. Very nice guy. So incredible athlete. Yeah. Gotcha. Anything else coming up exciting? Any trials coming up? I know you mentioned you had about 10 of them that are scheduled and slated to go over the next year. We have about 10 set every month. I was supposed to start one next Tuesday. Okay, settled for two and a half million dollars today. And what you know, as soon as, well, yesterday, as soon as we, uh, the judge said there's no more continuances, I'm ordering the jury panel. Sure enough, things cave, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's funny how that works. You know, you get a courtroom, the fear is there, and then they don't want to get into the ring with you. We were talking about this before we got on, but like there were years where I was not taken seriously as a young lawyer and trying seven cases a year and just fucking hitting monster verdicts. And every new insurer would try to challenge me, like, how, how's this guy going to get, you know, five to eight million on these fusion cases? How is this possible? So I, I remember one year I tried four against State Farm in a row. San Diego, Orange County, LA, and then um, up in San Francisco. And every one of these verdicts were like three to five million for a single level fusion. Are you sir a single level cervical fusion or a lumbar? One was lumbar. They're probably each one of each. I mean, it's still still very impressive because down here in Florida, the average ver verdict on a single level, let's just say an ACDF case is probably 253 lumbar fusion, three to five. No. These you are see a couple outlier million dollar verdicts, rare. Dude, I, I mean, I had one, one of those was actually a, a lumbar vasectomy case and got 1.8 million in Orange County. 1.8 million, no so lost wages, shit. great recovery. Wow. Well, it's because people are telling the story wrong. Like, it's this is a story about general damages, chronic pain. It's not so much about what's the value. Like, who's, who fucking assigns the value to an injury, an insurance company? And then what Gary Dordick, my mentor, always told me is like, what would you rather have a jury say? You, you ask for too little, you ask for too much, right? So just yes. go fucking say it with confidence. Say, I'm going to tell you this is what it's worth. Say it up front. Get in front of the jury and say, I think, you know, I had one in San Bernardino, I think in 2017 or 2018, where they gave my client $3 million for PTSD and my other client $3.8 million for a lumbar fusion. And the lady with PTSD, we have her, she testified and her dad. There were no doctors. There were nothing else. She just went up there and talked about how terrible her life has been since she was in this horrific crash. We had no specials and people were like, how the fuck did that happen? And I was like, because we told enough what it's worth and we asked for it. They tried to appeal it, they ended up paying everything. But um, yeah, man, I, it's just don't let other people tell you what the value of somebody's loss is. Like you should assign your value, be confident about it and say it. And I really like that piece of advice Dordic gave you that uh, yeah. you can't ask for too much. That's right. So if, they, if a jury comes in and says, we would have given you a few million more if you asked, dude, that would be a knife in the heart. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. I like to always say in rebuttal, I was like, if you shoot, if you shoot for the stars, they're not going to give you mud either. They're going to come. If they feel like they got to compromise, at least they're going to come much above where you wanted to be to begin with. One of my biggest, like I had a 16 and a half million dollar verdict on like a no property damage case for a guy that had a cervical and a lumbar fusion. But this guy was special. Like these guys didn't offer me anything. And the jury gave 100 percent what I asked for. And it was on a dare, like my co-counsel, Grayson Goody, who's now one of our partners, and he's a vote of lawyer. It was the first case he tried. He was my co-counsel. And right before I started to go up to pick the jury, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to say a number that well, I'm going to ask for for general damages. Like, I love our client. He's the best dude ever. And I was like, I'm thinking about, you know, saying we're going to ask for like four or five million. And he's like, say 15. I was like, dude, that's crazy. He's like, I dare you to go up there and say you're asking for 15 million. I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to do it. So I did it. And then, you know, the defense starts objecting about asking for money. And then he ended up saying it more than I did in jury selection. 
jurors getting off because they can't get that kind of money. The judge was very good about it. And the, the jury gave 100%. They gave $15 million for, for pain and suffering. And they gave the rest wow. for specials. Yeah. 100% paid, by the way. That was another one of the state farm laws in LA. On oh, those fusion cases, are you reliant on life care plans or no. how you justify how much those damages are worth over the remainder of their life? You just say it, man. Like, I, I use a pretty good analogy. Um, I should, whatever venue in, I pick whatever famous athletes there that they may not know about that signed a big contract. Um, like, I had Jared Goff one year in LA when they signed him as a rookie, and it was like, you know, sure. they signed this guy to three year, $60 million contract, three years, $60 million. And, you know, he's good at what he does. He's maybe one of the best, probably not, but that's how, what that was worth. That's not. what he paid. Right. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, here's my client over here. That's the best of what he does. And that's suffering every single day. I outline everything that's happened to him. I was like, you know, and I'm asking you for 8 million over 40 years, 8 million for 40 years for a contract that he didn't get into any volition of his own. Like he had no say in getting on the contract. The defendant made that for this guy's living in chronic pain, and all I'm asking you for is a reasonable amount for a lifetime of pain. And it got to be fair today, tomorrow, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, right? So the biggest number is always the future pain and suffering. And I usually go over milestones about like, what's real for you? Like walking your daughter down the aisle. What's it going to be like using a cane? What's going to be like having to sit down and taking that first dance or popping a Vicodin, right? Or, or using, you know, getting your lead put in your spinal cord stimulator so you can stand going on vacation with your grandkids, but it's all general damages. Makes sense. Yeah. I like it. So you open a collaborative efforts throughout the country. That's the whole, that's the whole point of what I'd like to do, man. So I know I broached the subject for, but those that are going to listen to this and there's gonna be quite a few. Are you willing to come into like Florida, for instance, if one of my colleagues has a big case or in yeah. Colorado or Georgia or New York and go try a case? Like I'm licensed in California and Texas, but I've had pro hoc situations in other states. I had a trial in Iowa. Nick Rowley and I actually started the trial in Iowa, um, the wrongful death one in the summer. They settled right before we were picking a jury in a gymnasium, which was cool. But um, yeah, we had different errors in a wrongful death case. But yeah, I have a few cases in like the Dakotas. I'm from Pennsylvania originally, so I get cases there and here and there. But yeah, 100% open to it. So I always say there's a lot of lawyers out there that can, uh, and Stan, for instance, is a phenomenal lawyer. He's board certified here in the state of Florida, and he's tried some big cases. There's certain lawyers who can try a case, who could try even a spine case. There's fewer that can try the catastrophic injury case that have swam in those seas before. And if you're doing it for the first time, it's very, very difficult. If you don't have the financial resources, it becomes almost impossible. Yeah, but I- You don't know what you don't know. Exactly. And I think that those, the easier cases to try are those catastrophic injury. I mean, right. I mean, you, everything's there done for you. The harder cases to try, but I think the most profitable ones are those, which I've made a living off of just those single event fusion cases, or maybe the impact's not too big. Well, shit, you're hitting them out for millions of dollars over here in Florida. That's, that's an anomaly. And now they're settling for those. I mean, these cases that people are like, how did you get 3 million on a cervical fusion settlement, settlement, right? Or open policy here. Well, that's because they've seen the results that we have. They see the writing on the wall and it starts with preparation. Like, Take Stan and I through that real quick. So in Florida, um, and I, could t- I don't want to bore you with the litany of how bad faith works here, but generally you got to put the insurance company on notice, send a demand, give them a chance to make an articulable decision about yeah. what the case is worth. And if they don't act reasonably in lieu of uh, you know, what you've presented to them and what they could have uh, learned through their own due diligence, then you have a bad faith case and you've opened the policy, so to speak. How does that work in California? Same. It's the same general concept. There's this, you know, subsequent lawsuit. If you have to get the verdict, you can then get assignment of rights, different things. You can litigate yep. a bad faith case. And I've had a few of those, but 
like a lot, a lot of big verdicts I've had are all over policy, but they pay them right away because we pepper the files so hard about policy with demands, blah, blah, blah. And now it's come to the point where we're settling a lot of cases for millions over policy limits. Other lawyers that brought us in after they opened up the policy um, because they see the writing on the wall, because that's a double threat. Like I think those are the easiest cases to get compensated on because the insurer, insurer don't want to fuck around with a bad faith case where they get hit for punitive damages. They don't. No. So if the case, the policy is definitely open and there's a big enough injury and they're like, shit, we could probably get hit for two or three million from the Simon Law Group for this verdict. But then we can look at punitive damages and aren't sure suing us as well. They're like, fuck that. Here's, you know, take three right now. <laughs> yeah, makes sense. Stan, you got any questions? No, I've been I've been kind of soaking it all up. It's you know, it's interesting to hear, you know, it's like you think of stuff and you know it, but then when you hear other people say it a lot of times, it's yeah. kind of inspiring. Because we try to do the same thing down here, you know, it's trying to develop that reputation so that when they see you, they know that it's going to be the same thing they got last time. Yeah. I will tell you one thing that I think resonated. I heard you say it in one of the blogs or podcasts you had when I was looking at your site was, you know, success requires a great partner, yep. that you're not going to do it alone. And, you know, Matt and I are new partners after a year. And I can tell you, you know, what I've noticed now in changing partnerships is Man, it opened a lot of doors. It's opened a lot of things. And I, and I didn't realize what I was lacking in my prior partnership until I got into this. And I'm guessing what you're doing with Justice HQ is essentially being that great partner for new attorneys who are kind of out there on their own. Correct. And it's being that great partner, again, partnership on a scale with picking your partner for what you need. Maybe you need to partner with this person on this specific thing. And like I can teach this to everybody. It's like, you should only be doing in your practice or your business, what you love to do. All the other things you can do, you can find one, a partner to do it or outsource it. Like, or you can find somebody who doesn't necessarily have to be a lawyer or a partner to do that type of work you don't want to do. There's just different opportunities. And if people want to, lawyers have to stop thinking just so linear about litigating or trying cases. If you want to make a lot of money in this industry and get wealth, you have to think about things from a business perspective. Like if you say it's cute, we have a whole channel for entrepreneurism. Like, I'm also in YPO and there's a whole bunch of stuff about entrepreneurism right there too. So if you can get into these circles where people are talking about different philosophies and just being inspired a different way and really making yourself the dumbest person in the room that you're in and learning from it, it goes a long way. That's why I really like doing podcasts like this and listening to other people, how they've done it and, and then learning from it. Like I don't really watch a lot of TV. I watch binge watch shows and I with my wife here and there, but usually just like listening to like podcasts, ones like these, ones like How I Built This by Guy Raz, just to understand how to continually doing the cycle, doing it more efficiently and having high quality of life. But if you partner right and you outsource right, you can be never not working, but never actually work at the same time, if that makes sense. This has been the most interesting podcast we've ever done. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I don't think you got anything from us, but we didn't have, by the way, is that, move over a little bit to you now to your right, go to your right. Or, well, now I can see, is that a spine or is that a spine model? Or is that an interesting bottle of liquor? This one, that's a spine. That's a lumbar spine. Okay, I didn't know if that was because of your eclectic you know, collection. I didn't know if that was like an interesting liquor bottle. This was my spine model I used for a lot of the truck. I actually, when I was trying a case in Arizona, because like I prohunked in there in the federal case, and the, the federal judge actually called me Dr. Simon a few times. And then she corrected herself because I go up and explain things to the jury because <laughs> I know this stuff so well. Yeah. But I, I like to use it. And I have my little logo on here to sell the jurors. I think I'm going to send it back to the jury room. Go for it. Nice. Nice. Yeah. But this has been uh, the most interesting one we've had by far and away. 
Well, Stan, fuck, man. Absolutely. I learned more during this podcast, I think, than we gave out. It's been fantastic. <laughs> Anytime. Yeah, and I'm happy to, like, I like being in, like, these, you know, have a few sips of whiskey with your friends, getting a group of 10, and just spitball shit. That's, like, my favorite thing in life. Put on a ball game, talk about things, the things that you learn from people in other industries and different aspects of law, man, it is fucking cool. And you can realize how you can make a lot more mailbox money and do things smartly just with strategic yeah. partnerships. We have very similar mentality, so Stan. Like, I don't give a fuck. Dude. I don't, don't want to do any digital marketing. I don't do any intake. I don't want to do any pre-lit. None of that shit, right? Yeah, you it's awesome. That that stuff. So it's different. It's, that's You've it. attained that level now to get that work, too. That's pretty cool. Yeah. How do folks get a hold of you? Let's start with this. How do consumers get a hold of you off the bat? And then how do uh, attorneys and potential colleagues get a hold of you in California and nationwide if they, A, need you on a big case, they yeah. want to co-counsel, or B, want to join the collaborative effort at Justice HQ and stop trying to do this all on their own and banging their head against the wall and having real trial lawyers, top-notch guys help them out. I'm sure you share forums, oh, meetings, yeah. and everything else. So yeah. why wouldn't a young lawyer do this? And then how do they get a hold of you? Easiest way is actually to slide into my DMs and actually put my handle on Instagram at Planet Fun Bob up on the recording if you're watching it um, online. If you're listening, you could just text me 310-866-7497, Robert at justiceteam.com. So Robert at justiceteam.com. Very easy to remember. Any of that stuff, like you get a hold of me and I'll, you know, make sure that you get taken care of one way or another. And look, a lot of these, one of the reasons we created also Justice HQ, sometimes those cases don't fit our threshold to take. Or they're outside our wheelhouse, and that's why I have a, you know, a push button to the rest of the membership so that everybody can be taken care of. Cool. Well, if you need uh, anything, anyone needs more information on uh, how to get a hold of Bob Simon and the Simon Law Group, feel free to drop me a line, Matt at DolmanLaw D O L M A N Law dot com. Call us anytime, toll free eight three three five five crash. This concludes another episode of the David vs Goliath podcast. Bob Simon, it's been a real true pleasure to have you on because most most lawyers are stuffed up, stuffy assholes. D-bags. Um, there's a few cool people I hope that I consider myself. I consider myself one of those individuals. Uh, I definitely consider you one of those individuals. And uh, this has just been a really, really great opportunity. Well, thanks for having me on. And guys, I just want to let you know that D-bag is a very underused and well-appreciated term of mine. <laughs> so it's, we got to bring that back. D-bags. Yeah, I usually yeah. say douchebag, but I just, I'm avoiding that on just trying to be a little bit more professional, a little bit more buttoned up, so you're <laughs> cursing, but not too badly. So yeah, D-bag. Just most lawyers are just stuffy, and they're not people you want to hang out with on the weekend. Nah, dude. And that's why I wanted to create create this, you know, high-level membership of uh, people that you want to avoid. They're out, so whatever. But yeah, my, my <laughs> fantasy baseball team name, my fantasy baseball uh, league name is the Douche Caboose League. It has been going for 20 years, so. Really? <laughs> Love it. And when are you and the wife expecting? August. So we'd be having our third daughter in August, girl dad times three. So now it goes from uh you know man D to zone D. Well, we're gonna do the offset two one inspired by um Don Cheney's Temple defense, the offset two. Yeah, oh yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot you're from that area. You're from Pittsburgh, but yeah. the whole Philly area is Temple, Villanova, LaSalle, yeah. some good basketball out there in Pennsylvania. If you're yeah. having the baby in August, when are you going to Europe for two months? We're going from May mid-May to mid-July and then coming back. Ooh. Actually, Gary Jordan, my cool. mentor, is his daughter's getting married in Florence, so we're going over for the wedding and just staying for a long time. <laughs> Pretty cool. That's That's a awesome. great trip. Well, appreciate having you, man. Fuck it, dude. Like, it was always a dream of ours, so why not just do it? Like, whatever. To take advantage anytime you can travel, man. That's right. There's one regret I have is I never did the study abroad. 
Well, we, we didn't have money to do that, Matt. I mean, mine, I had to work all the way through everything. So I, those kids that studied abroad, I thought were always behind because they weren't making the connections they needed to make. They were fucking around. Agree with you. I mean, I grew up without a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of. But yeah, yeah. if I wish I had those opportunities, though, because you never get that back. Yeah, bro. Well, I appreciate you guys. Looking forward to uh, helping people out on scale. And Matt, can't wait to see you guys. If you're coming in for fights, whatever you're coming to California for, man, it's hang. Let's do it. Yeah, bro. Game. All right. Now I'll be on All the right. next Bourbon Approved Tour. Yeah, bro. Take care, guys. See you. Have a good one. Bye now. This episode of David versus Goliath is over, but your journey is just getting started. To share your story with us, visit dolmanlaw.com. That's D-O-L-M-A-N-Law.com. Or call 866-965-6242. The insights and views presented in David vs. Goliath are for general information purposes only and should not be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. The information presented is not a substitute for consulting with an attorney, nor does tuning into this podcast constitute an attorney-client relationship of any kind. Any case result information provided on any portion of this podcast should not be understood as a promise of any particular result in a future case. Dolman Law Group. Big firm results. Small firm personal attention.